<laughs> Three, two, two, one. one. Let's, Let's go. go. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Yes, you did, Monty. I'm the host of the PB Podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, and this is the first episode of the P- uh, PhD with PBE, and it's Skips Matt the Skip Scipion, my co-host of the PBE Podcast, going to get a PhD. He's in Australia. And uh, this is the first episode of this. Matt, what is going on, man? How do you say what's going on in Australia? What's up, mate? <laughs> what's up, mate? What's up, mate? What's up, mate? <laughs> right. Yeah. And dude, how the, long? The, how... Dude, the, dude, the language, there is like a surprisingly language barrier here. And it's it's awesome. Like, I, I don't want to say, like, the, the term that they use is bogan, uh, which is just like the most like, it's bogan. Like that local, means... yeah. It's like bogan is like the most Australian, Australian, Australian you could be. Is that just, right? Yeah. Oh and, yeah. And that means like awesome. Yeah. Oh, boat. No, it's not. A, it's not a oh. good term. When you say oh. someone's bogan, it's like semi derogatory, but it's also a term of endearment in some cases. <laughs> okay. I guess. Okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. Like Man. for example, I'll give I'll give you a good one. So if someone asks a dumb question. Instead of responding yes, you know, like there's the classic, does a bear shit in the woods? Uh, there are a bunch of other sayings here that I've heard, which are absolutely hysterical. One is a, is a one-legged duck swim in circles. <laughs> is a frog's ass water tight? Uh, and then they progressively get worse from there. Uh, <laughs> but, guys. Yeah, dude, it's 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 comical, man. It's 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 pretty it's pretty well, funny. Dude, tell me and walk me back through what exactly happened because you you had a PhD opportunity in Norway. You had the Australian thing pop up and then it went away. We had to deal with the coves. Yeah. You know, you you've been through all kinds of things and now you're in Australia. Like, how long you've been there? How did all that happen? Uh, so I've been here now for about a month and a half. So Kind of stepping back to the year of the COVID 2020, um, I got into uh, University of Bergen for a PhD opportunity there, but then COVID happened and they just basically said, and it was I was in the interviewing process at the time, but they basically were saying you were going to get it. They basically told me, not going to happen. I apologize. Like, we apologize, but you know, too much going on in the world right now. We're, we're shutting down. Uh, at least international students. And I was like, fair enough. And, you know, this was at the time where, you know, we never, we didn't really understand what COVID was and the numbers were crazy, what we were seeing. Sure. Uh, and then from there, cause I applied to a bunch of programs at the same time. And I applied to this program here at JCU for actually a completely different project. And uh, I ended up interviewing with the, uh, the head of department and one of my advisors at the moment, Dr. Eric Roberts. And he, Basically, we we connected really well. Uh, we knew a lot of mutual people. He went to the University of Montana. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I we knew Jim Sears and all these other geos up there, and we talked. We we connected really well, and I was like, "This is the guy I want to work with. Like, this guy's awesome." Uh, and then, like I said, he was like, "Hey, you know, potentially we're going to open back up in the spring of 2021." And I was like, cool, like, uh, keep me posted. I'm in, I'm in no rush. I'm just chilling at home anyways. And uh, that's when the school was starting to open up and then Omicron hit. Uh, so at that point, he's like, hey, you can't come. I'm sorry. Like, we'll keep you posted. And I didn't hear from him for over six months, six, seven months. Granted, I wasn't really reaching out either. So yeah. like neither one of us really kept that line of communication. Omicron. Open. It was more... 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Omicron just kind of screwed yeah. it all up and then pushed pushed everything back. And then Australia, you know, they their borders were, you know, they had tight. their lockdown. Their borders were tight, open, and then they got COVID here and then things were crazy here. But that was like in other areas of Australia, like Queensland, uh, not this. They're like I said, it's twice the size of Texas and has a similar mentality to Texas. Like nice. that's how they handled COVID. So <laughs> they had their they had their six week lockdown and then they were like, all right, we're going to open back up. I'm sorry. Yeah. We don't really right care. On. Uh, right on. Which was cool. I mean, like, yeah, when I showed up, I didn't need a quarantine or do any of that kind of stuff. I just hopped on the plane and, you know, walked to my Airbnb. Um, but yeah, so water. Uh, the water. It's better. Yeah, it's better than Midland. So yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> better than Midland in California, which isn't saying much. But uh, uh, what was I gonna say? But yeah, so 2022 comes around, and in February he reaches back out to me, uh, and he's like, "Hey, we still have your stipend saved. We still have your scholarship saved. Uh, are you still interested?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely interested still." And he talked about. Uh, so the project that I was originally going to be working on was passed to someone else. That was the Cooper Aramanga lore base and stuff. Okay. Uh, and then this project came up and he's like, would you be interested? And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> so yeah, anything, especially like, I mean, like I said, anything that's structure related and as well as I get to walk out crop, like that's where I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. That's Man. what I want to do. Wow. And, uh, so you dropped everything you got going on. Yep. Hopped and on then, a plane. Uh, hopped on a plane and and headed out this way. Holy and uh, yeah, the the rest the rest I guess uh, history is in process right now. Well, yeah, exactly. And we're gonna document <laughs> it. That's the point of yeah. this this series of of PhD with PBE. It's it's your story, man. It's you going out there and taking the risk of of going and just doing this and getting a PhD in geology and and then you know, carrying the, the burden, if you want to call it that, but the, the detailed geology and our background, getting to work with Monty and Stan over the years and having kind of a fresh approach of kind of starting from scratch in an area and Mm -hmm. trying to understand it to the best of your ability to ultimately, ultimately just to make the most amount of successful predictions as possible as a resource geoscientist, as an explorationist, man. And, and that's how we're going to transition to Monty. Monty, thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking this trip with us. Yep. Thank you for always being there for us ever since we met. Uh, and what what did you get from the show so far? What was the first episode like for you? I mean, this <laughs> is really exciting. You know, what exactly he's focusing in on, you know, on the Triassic. I mean, you've got to do more of an outside-in thing. I mean, you got to look mm-hmm. at in. in in the rocks, but you got to get outside and see, you know, what the geodynamics are, the plate tectonic setting. And that's what we can do with magma chem. I can see uh, specific chemistry and age dates, geography of where they'll sit. But the other thing is I still like uh, integrating the ocean, uh, the ocean crust with the continental crust because there's a connection there. And I think, mm-hmm. Big connection are these uh, fracture zones, which are reflecting the big structures in the basin or in the in the in the continent when it when it was rifted. And that all it all fits together. But the thing that's so important is is those things are fractured, so there's lower pressure and there's more fluids. 
and those fluids, they become hydrothermal fluids and uh, they're just fundamentally related to the, to the resources. And, and you end up with panels of crust associated right. with those. And each one of those has its own geology. And uh, that's why you get a province of a lot of metal. And then right next to it, you don't get any metal. It's because yeah. there's different histories on each one of those. Wow. Yeah. So I guess I'm talking about the plate tectonic setting to get a handle on that. And I think we have the tools to help you do that. Yeah. yeah. And so, and Monty, and this is a question I wanted to ask because specifically with the Triassic, and I agree with you hundred percent, right. In order to understand this area in particular, right. As a structural geologist, you need to step out big picture. Right. And that was kind of the purpose of today. Like I, I wanted to show everything because it's all related to that one area. Right. Like in some sense or another, uh, you can't just focus in on, you know, like a, small little basin and expect to understand the structural style just staring there it's like the answer is when you step out but kind of that, that was like a very long-winded way to get to this question uh so what data in your mind would you like to see so obviously geochrone and then what other kind of geochemistry data would you find uh the most valuable for evaluating something like that well, as i said the mineral systems are their own geologic unit and you need mm -hmm to basically compile a file of every mineral mineral, uh, mineral system. And mm -hmm. the metal ratios in that mineral system can tell you what the chemistry of the igneous rocks are. So that, yeah. that's, that's one database that no one puts together. The other thing is to do some paleotectonic maps and some time slice maps, you know, take, yeah. take, try to, uh, try to organize the data in time slice maps. And then we can do a stratotectonic section across there. It's kind of like sequence stratigraphic analysis on steroids. You put everything oh, yeah. on there. Yeah. And uh, just like yeah. we did in Western US. Right. Yeah. Yes. Real straightforward tools, but you just yeah. got to dig in and pull out the hard data out of all the theses, dissertations, reports, That's not right. the interpretations, the hard data. Yeah. That's what you want. You want to put that into yeah. time and space and then, uh, then so, classify it according to the magma chem classification, which will tell you if there was a subduction zone down there. It'll tell you if there is and how deep it was. Yeah. And it'll tell you if it's a rift or not. I mean, mm -hmm. the chemistry will tell you that and no one else does that. So that is that just gets you very quickly to an answer. And, and we don't need huge amounts of data to do this yeah so we uh, this is whole rock chemistry thing. whole rock chem on fresh rocks age dates right that's what i'm hearing not so much like yeah. an actual assay of like 64 elemental like act labs full suite with yeah, a hydrocarbon no, that, package that, <laughs> yeah right I was going to say, luckily, so one cool thing, like I said, is that GeoResGlobe has a ton of publicly available data as far as age dates. I tried to get the, because we have a mass spec machine and we like the university has probably, in my opinion, one of the best like, you know, geoscience, geochem facilities as far as like age dating and bulk chemistry and XRF, XRD, age dating, different elements out of any university, like smaller university that I've ever seen. So it, it's pretty awesome. I tried to get 
all the data from all the students and uh, from all the professors that have been running the lab because there have been hundreds of thousands of samples run. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, I found out that I need to get permission from every individual student Let's in do order it. and professor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so well, here's the other it. issue. We're gonna this send is, this podcast yeah. out. But this is, this is yeah. But the big problem is once the data is given to me, it doesn't come with X, Y coordinates. So I would need to go. Sheesh. That's where the biggest pain would be. Yeah. So the date pulling the data wouldn't be the hard thing. It's finding out where that data would be plotted. Because huh. I understand like regionally where it would go, but that's not good enough. What's I need the to understand- budget? What's the budget to go out there, pick rocks and, and run whole rock <laughs> chemistry on it? Do you guys got that kind of budget at the John Cook University? A James Cook? Oh, sorry. <laughs> James. Yeah. John, school, though. yeah. John <laughs> my, Cook is our rival university. My son's name no, it's not, is James. It's not a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll remember but, that. Uh, next but I mean, I mean, the budget's there. I mean, the samples have been run. It's just getting the permissions and finding the localities. I F think that's, that. F like, that's yeah. a waste you have of time. To do that. You, you have to make layers. You got to do a mineral system layer, igneous rock layer, you know, yeah. make layers, do it all digital. And then you can piece it all together. And, so yeah. see where the and I, and I have, slide. I have those original papers, those time slice papers. I'm, pretty confident within my like magma chem like folder yeah so I'll, I'll pull those out again just to see like the exact style in which you guys did it yeah uh tomorrow when you go out to outcrop man get gps data points either with google earth or with you know oh dude i got my phone. garmin loaded up dude see, see how that connects look in africa yeah the you africa guys, there go back to africa skips I mean, have you seen this i mean look at this structure in africa it goes right into the fracture zones yeah, that goes oh, all the way to you, Texas. You superimpose crack that Google is, on Texas, is, Google Earth. That, that's yes, sir. Dude, can you send this to me? <laughs> oh yeah, I can. Do brother. I need to? Do I need to pay for this, or like, do I need to sign up for Patreon? I'll do it right now, dude. I'll give you the credit card info over the over Zoom, dude. So we got Google Earth. Let's zoom in, and I just did this for you today, man. Bang! Whoa. There it is. I see the one that I. Oh yeah. So here's the there's the eyes of province, right? There's that bend that you see with the Tasman. There's the Bowen sits through there. <laughs> there's there's the New England origin. You have the Mossman to the north. Yeah, you guys have already mapped everything all out, dude. We uh, yeah. I will send you this file. Absolutely, we'll work from it. And uh, I wanted to show you that before we end the first episode, man. We have Google Earth, cracks of the world, ready to go. It's it, but Bang. it's unedited. Keep in mind it's unedited. Yeah. But, yeah. The main thing it shows is that the oil and gas systems are definitely associated with big cracks. <laughs> yeah. And here's episode one of a PhD with PBE. Welcome everyone, all the listeners out there in the world, to the first episode of PhD with PBE. Uh, I am joined by not only one of my best friends, but the co-host of the PBE podcast, T-Roy or Troy Tittlemeyer. Uh, Stan, the man Keith, will be joining us shortly due to some technical monsoon difficulties. And then Monty the Swan is also <laughs> going to be joining us as well. And a uh, little background for those of you who don't know Stan or Monty, they're two mentors of Troy and myself, just helped us really understand the earth from a much more structural perspective and an understanding of the deeper processes that occur within the earth 
and uh, gives us a better insight on how to evaluate not only sedimentary basins, but just the planet as a whole. So yeah, let's, uh, let's dive right into this bad boy. So where it all started, I needed to throw this in. Uh, I, I found this on my phone last wow. night. I was looking through photos. Uh, and this is the first Grand Canyon trip I went on is in historical geology. I had a semester of geology under my boots. Uh, here I am down here wearing my old raggedy flannel. And then Troy up here looking like a candy cane. Uh, <laughs> that was my favorite and- field shirt, man. Dude, it's a great field shirt, shirt, man. We couldn't lose you. You couldn't lose you. (laughs) Wherever you were, we could like, there's Troy. There's Troy. Here he comes up the, here he comes up the uh, Kaibab. And then uh, MCAT over here on the left. And I remember even at the time, MCAT wasn't even in historical geology. He just talked his way onto the trip. (laughs) I don't think he even, I don't even think he was taking a geology course yet. And he just managed to talk his way onto the trip. And is that Uh, Vinny P? That's Vinny P right there, dude. We got Q. We got Mel yeah. B's, we got wow. Hayden, we got Dr. Ritterbush, Reno, Miguel. Uh, I forgot his name. I wow. don't, he was an environmental guy. I, I don't remember <laughs> him. Uh, and then we got Merle, uh, the one and only legend, the the deadhead himself. Uh, <laughs> that and is yeah, cool, man, man. It's, it's, I, I just figured it'd be, it'd be a good place to start this series because I was like, this is kind of where it all started for, for me personally, just that Grand Canyon trip, second semester of geology, uh, you know, drinking whiskey in the hotel room and uh, and talking just this crazy stuff, you know. And at the time, it all kind of seemed like a dream. But now it's like becoming more and more of a reality. And I thought that was just like really, really cool. Like this is what so, we yeah. do for a living, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We for some reason we get to do this for a living. And uh, yeah, man, it's 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 wild. It's wild looking back at this photo and, and that time. But uh, yeah, continuing on. So the introduction, I'm going to start with just the geologic history of Queensland. And uh, I'm just going to kind of break down the fundamental timing of these various structural events. So it's going to be going from Paleoproterozoic. Uh, luckily, there's no Archean stuff <laughs> as far as that I know within Queensland. Uh, but so Paleoproterozoic all the way up through more or less the Mesozoic. Uh, there's some stuff that happens in the Cenozoic as well, but I just didn't have, I tried to condense it the best I could because each one of these events could have been like a five-day lecture, just put it that way. Uh, and then I'm just going to go into a basic intro of gravity and magnetics, uh, particularly more on the gra- or, or on the mag side. And I'm going to explain the differences between uh, TMI uh, or total magnetic intensity, RTP, reduction to the pole, and your first uh, vertical derivative of uh, mag and what the data is actually saying, right? So when you're looking at a TMI map, when you're looking at an RTP map, when you're looking at a 1VD map, what is the data that you can pull out of this? And then where are assumptions being made within that data? Because that's something that happens a lot when you're looking at public data, especially because, you know, they'll just run an algorithm through it for like our our RTP and 1VD and, uh, you know, those results could be kind of all over the place if you don't know what you're looking for and where you are in the world. When you say we're going to, we're going to, we're going to see what the data sees, you're, you're talking about like what the data is trying to represent. That's what we're trying to understand, right? It's, it's not an interpretation. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. So just bare bones, like what is this saying? And then I have it pulled up on the back end, uh, just in a GIS project. Uh, it's actually called GeoRes Globe. It's like Queensland's uh, public data set, which is freaking awesome, by the way. Um, all the mag, all the graphs, so we can go through and then we can do some structural interpretations. They're kind of on the fly if we get to that point. Cool. I figure that's how we would that's how we would end it, just so you guys can see all the data and and kind of dive into specific areas. And then the last thing is, uh, well, we're not going to get to this today because I didn't even have time to put this put this together. But the purpose of my <laughs> dissertation is the uh, to gain a fundamental understanding of the Triassic in the northern Bowen Basin from outcrop to basin scale. So there's a fundamental issue within the Bowen Basin, and I'm going to go into a little bit more details when I'm going through the structural history, is they really have no idea how or why it formed. Um, and also the provenance for the sediments. And uh, I'm gonna when I show you the grab and the mag, you guys are going to be like, well, duh. But, you know, for the average person, you know, like based on, you know, standard sedimentological processes, uh, they don't they have no idea where the sediment came for that filled this basin for the most part. Um, so, yeah. Cool. So where the hell is Skips? Where, where am I? I uh, so I'm in Australia and uh, <laughs> Australia, as they say it. And uh, just to kind of. This is just a snag from Google Earth. Uh, and uh, just to kind of break down Australia, it's six different states. So we have Western Australia here. We have the Northern Territories. We have Southern Australia, Tasmania. We have Victoria. We have New South Wales. And then this area up here is Queensland. And then within Queensland, you see this little dot, Townsville. I am right now in my office in Townsville uh, at 7 a.m., like I said, off of two shots of espresso and a dream. Uh, and then and then out here, uh, this is actually the Great Barrier Reef. So it's a it's a pretty cool area. It's like very, very it's like dry, but tropical. Like one of the nicknames for Townsville is Brownsville, even though it's like also kind of a rainforest, which is very confusing to me. It's just because everything else is a lot greener around here. Um, it looks like it looks like the most structurally complex part of the whole continent and yeah I mean, it just yeah it's it's it really is and and when we dive into it i i tell people that you know being born and raised in california that california has some of the most complex structural geology i've ever like observed it's basically well because it's so much neotectonics but australia specifically queensland has so much it's it's just as complex, the issue is there's so much more. Like I'll put it, all those things that you see in California, it's like that times two. Uh, so oh, wow. yeah, it's it's wild. And uh, yeah, so that's where I'm at. I'm in Townsville, living a dream. And have so, oh, go on. I don't want to jump into too many rabbit holes right off the bat, but do you no, know if there's no, let's, let's serp go for it. serpentinite outcrops on the coast anywhere? Like uh, we have oh, the beach. And dude, they're everywhere. And it's in the literature too. It's oh, not like man. it's something that, you know, serpentinite is this like <clears throat> fofo term, you know, like people are scared of it. No, it's because Australia's, you know, their biggest export <clears throat> is, is resources, right? Is, is, you know, metals and ores and rare earths. 
Uh, like I'm reading the geology of Queensland book right now. And the amount of times it says the serpentinized blank serpentinized this serpentinized wow. that is that absurd, oh. is absurd. And it's interesting too, because you know, like how we're used to thinking of serpentinite within a sedimentary basin standpoint, it stands out as a, as a pretty significant mag high. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of places they actually like when they're looking for iron ore, for example, uh, it'll actually be a low. So you'll have like this very susceptible, like iron ore, mm. uh, with like a bunch of magnetite in it. And then there'll be like proximal serpentinite and they'll actually use that as a mag low on these faults, you know, like, cause mm. they're very good at identifying where the faults are, you know, surprise, surprise. And, uh, yeah. It's yeah. So there is a ton of serpentinite. There's serpentinite everywhere. Um, so, so this is a regional geology map. And this is from that GeoRes globe that I was telling you about. And I would have thrown a legend up, but the legend was honestly way too big for me to condense and put up. So uh, I just kind of wanted to show this because it'll it kind of shows the basic geology of the area. And you can see some pretty definitive trends right away just from looking at the surface geology. You see some stuff here going in on the western part of uh, Queensland going north-south. We see this bend that kind of exists through here. We see this kind of structure that's kind of more of this oblong shape here. And then bolted onto that oblong structure, we see another structure kind of out here. And then we see kind of like this whole hodgepodge up here yeah. to the north. And it's all cranked and wrenched and all this other stuff. Um, and this is all going to, a lot of this is part of the Tasman origin uh origin which is made up of five different orogenic events and it's and they kind of all overprint and onlap on top of one another so it's it's wild oh yeah and then just for reference uh queensland is twice the size of texas so it's 1.7 million square kilometers or just two texases just easy enough (laughs) two texases uh Yeah, yeah uh what uh what what ages are we like typically looking at like from oldest to youngest uh, on these on the surface like in this map so here is the mount isa province uh and i'm going to go into details of this in a little bit but this is approximately like paleo proterozoic so 1.8 ga uh to like about well paleo proterozoic all the way up to uh there, there's a lot. There's some Paleozoic stuff in here as well, okay. and then the youngest they have is like Cenozoic stuff. Okay. But uh, a lot of it, though, kind of like what you see through like the middle of this, is all Mesozoic in age. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. And this is kind of where. And you remember what? Like when we? Oh, well, we'll keep going. We're gonna we're gonna keep going. <laughs> Talk about it here. So this again, I hate data blasting, but I need to explain some of like the fundamental ways they go about. Uh, explaining the structure here in Australia because they explain it different than they do in the states. So they divide basins based on these, uh, based on their stratigraphic packages in which they were deposited. So, for example, I'll, I'll use the Permian Basin for example. Um, so before the Permian Basin consists of everything from, you know, the Bliss Sandstone all the way to the Edwards Trinity Aquifer, Cambrian, right? so to that the, yeah, Triassic, yeah, Cambrian, Cambrian to you know. Cambrian to Mesozoic in age, yeah. right? But when you look at the Permian, it's gone through multiple basin evolutions, right? So the first evolution was the Tobosa Basin. So 
when you're talking to someone in Australia, right, they would identify that l- earlier Paleozoic package as just the Tobosa Basin. And then when they're talking about the pen to the, Top you know, the perm. pen to the perm, yeah. pen to the perm, right, they would refer to it as the Delaware on one side, they would refer to it to Midland on the other. They right? wouldn't call and then central- it, it wouldn't be... It's like, okay, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not all encompassing, right? It's because hmm. because of the marathon of Wachita, it changed the structural style and the depositional environment. So a lot of these basins, like their extents, like overlap one another. So for example, the Aramanga Basin, you can see is huge. And then within the Aramanga Basin, you have the Cooper Basin, you have the Galilee Basin, you have a little bit of the Bowen Basin. Um, wow. And so... And then like these basins interlap through time as well. And it's, it's just an important thing to note just because when you refer to a basin, a lot of the times it's more referring to the basin at that time those sediments were deposited. So when you're referring to the Cooper Basin, it's referring to a very specific stratigraphic package that was deposited in its extent, even though there is wow. overlap. So like the Cooper Basin overlaps the Aramanga Basin, right? But when you refer to the Cooper Basin, you're referring to a very specific sedimentary sequence in which this like structural style these were deposited in. Monty, what uh, what are you Monty, when when you hear this and how they're breaking out the stratigraphy like that, what are your thoughts on that, Monty? Well, I'm just wondering if these are foreland basins or if they're uh rift basins trying to uh, understand what the plate tectonics, you got to get at the plate tectonics behind. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go into the details of basically each one of these. And well, not as, not as detailed as I could in all honesty, but at least so you can get a general understanding of the kinematics and like the convergent vectors at the time, just at least to that point. So you can start putting that structural picture together in your head. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I didn't, I, I, this is a ton to take in, but I love this image. Uh, cause I mean, it shows everything that they, they have in the, uh, in Queensland, right? Like I said, from that paleo proterozoic all the way up to that Jurassic Cretaceous, um, and then kind of dividing them out based on like those ages. So, um, yeah, let's, let's hop into the first one and then we'll, we'll go from there. So uh, the Northern Australian Craton. So the first thing I'm going to talk about, and uh, this is probably what Queensland is most famous for, is Mount Isa. Uh, Mount Isa is one of the most rich mineral-bearing provinces in all of probably the world. I'll put it that way. Uh, everything from gold, copper, silver, lead, zinc, to rare earths, to any critical mineral, almost any critical mineral you can imagine. They just found a huge vanadium deposit there quite recently. Um, so kind of explaining this, uh, when Laurentia combined and we had this Nuna assembly kind of event, uh, this is 1.6 billion years ago. Um, you have this stitching that kind of occurs on that suture boundary. And within that stitching, that is how these provinces of Mount Isa were created. And they're created in three different belts. So a Western belt, a central belt, and an Eastern belt. Uh, each one of those belts, kind of like as you kind of see here. So this is an example of, you know, like one of those strato tectonic charts that break out the basins by age. 
So the Leichhardt Super Basin was deposited 1.8 to 1.75. Um, as you can kind of see here, it's deposited extant throughout all three zones. Uh, but when you refer to the Leichhardt, it's only referring to the rocks of that age that were deposited there. And then it goes into the Calvert Super Basin, the Isa Super Basin, uh, which is only present, though, in the western and the central belts. And this is occurring about 1.6 uh, GA. And then, but in the eastern belt, you have the soldier cap group being deposited down here. And then all the meanwhile, you have these various intrusive bodies that are coming in. And then at 1.6, right, you have this isenerogeny or this Nuna assemblage. And that's what's happening here. Um, so, yeah, you have these phenomenal structural styles. And as you can tell at the time or modern day, right after, you know, plate tectonics and how the continents have shifted through time, it's got this north-south orientation, uh, even though at the time this occurred in the, uh, the northern hemisphere close to the North Pole when, when the structural event actually happened, when you look at the, uh, the paleomag data. You think um, this is flat subduction? It looks like a collision there, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a collision event. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was subduction involved. Well, typically through geologic time, you have steep. It, there's like a, there's the, there's these big cycles, Wilson cycle and everything. <clears throat> As you start out with steep and it goes to flat. Yeah. And, and, and Western collapses. And that's, you see that through the Jurassic and the, you know, yeah. I think you probably see it in the Precambrian too. Yeah, 1.6 in in uh, Arizona geology or or western Ar yeah. western United States, it's flat subduction. 1.6 flat subduction. Well, at 1400, it's steep and then it goes flat. Same thing. Yeah, it's it's like the plates kind of run away and they get faster and faster and it gets flatter and then it coll collapses. So now that's that, a cycle. So you can you probably can see those cycles in most of these. What kind places. of what kind of rock is the 1.6 billion year old rock? Uh, most of them are, and this is going to be a blanket statement. So uh, are metamorphic. <laughs> uh, like I said, they're out of. So I think out of the ten PhDs that are here, I think six of them are all working on some area of Mount Isa specifically. Some veins, some sills, some fault. Uh, that's, I mean, because that's where all the money's kind of coming from. But I know some of them are metamorphic, and then a couple are igneous petrologists. So I know the two guys next to me are both igneous guys, uh, Alex and Abish, and uh, yeah, they're working on one of them. He's looking at. Uh, these porphyry copper uh sills and then another and then abish is working on some like very interesting uh just kind of like geochemical ratios as far as you know mineral enrichment he's trying to find some other correlations potentially but uh if the kind of going on to the uh sorry okay. the what, what you yeah. want you want to compile all the age dates and mm -hmm. all the whole rock chemistry of the igneous rocks and immobile trace elements of the igneous mm -hmm. rocks. And if you can't get enough data, you might have to go out there and just collect some key ones because all that chemistry will tell you what the tectonic is. You know, if mm -hmm. it's it's paraluminous rock, right? And, then, and that means you got to use immobile trace elements to see that, plus 
the whole rock chemistry to see that's paraluminous, but what kind of paraluminous? Then you can tell what the source rock is. Then you can tell what the plate tectonic setting is at that time. And if you get enough, you can start to see the geometry of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So that is just, without that, you're blind. I, yeah. I mean, you, you have a, an ability through magma chem with all the variation diagrams and everything to do something no one else has done. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a major thing. So it you simply have to compile all the whole rock chemistry, yeah, all the chemistry of igneous rocks, and For uh, sure. mineral deposits will tell you the same thing that are associated with the mineral uh, the igneous rocks. So you can back yeah. in with that too. But that that that's just huh. basic. Yeah. That, yeah. I don't know what you do and, and there that. and and all that data is available. I know that for for a fact and through yeah, the university, like internally and then public as well. Because I mean, that was that's kind of something that's cool about Queensland is a lot of the data that is collected is just immediately put online for public use. Okay, you need um, all that yeah. and put it all on a spreadsheet, and then you need to get Jan Rasmussen's dissertation. She has all the plots on that dissertation. Oh, yeah. And, and then so what's can... the next thing you do oh, yeah. is you write some uh, some programs to automatically plot the data on those uh, templates. And then you can mm -hmm. read it right off. You, you want to automate. Yeah. You don't want to hand plot all this stuff. So, oh, no, no way. I, I don't know. I don't have time for that. Macros, <laughs> we might have macros that actually do that. Mm -hmm. Jan may have developed macros to do that. I know one guy, Dan Laux, may have. Yeah. So anyway, that that is the starting. You know, that's just basic. If if you yeah if you don't do that, you're gonna just. I don't know what how but, you can figure anything out. So yeah, <laughs> we're looking at a interpretation of a collision during Laurentia and all that stuff, right? But yeah, that's that's based on the structure that they see cutting these old rocks. Well, the structure and then like they've dated all this as well. Like I said, like this is an argon argon study, but they've done plenty of other studies, you know, age dating all these rocks <clears> and <throat> understanding, you know, the various terrains and breaking them out and then kind of going into that. Uh, this is, again, same area, uh, Mount Isa, and it's actually broken down into 15 different domains. So you have that, like I said, you have the structural silings of the western, central, and eastern belt. But within those belts, right, throughout those belts, I mean, it's 15 different domains. And a lot of the styles of mineralization that you see is so, and these are the, the prolific ones that they're known for. And they're, they're, they're producing out of at this moment is the sediment-hosted lead, uh, silver lead zinc, uh, a brecciated sediment-hosted uh, copper, iron oxide, copper gold. And then Broken Hill type silver lead zinc deposits. Um, I can't, I couldn't tell you what the terrains they're actually in. I mean, that'd be a quick search, real quick. But like I said, this is just, this is what Queensland's most famous for. I haven't, yeah, my project's not in this area. So I haven't had the time to like really delve into the, the details of it. Well, Broken Hill this tells you, this, this tells you basic things yeah. sediment hosted, you know, that could be rifting related. I, uh, copper, gold, iron, that's probably uh, subduction. Broken Hill mm -hmm. is definitely flat subduction. I mean, yeah. so uh, that right there will tell you things. And, and you can overprint the whole thing with one of these events. All those mm -hmm. 
those are probably accreted terrains. Uh, oh yeah. So that, yeah. And that's, and, and that's most likely what they are. Uh, just various accreted terrains of, you know, different chemistry. And then within, like you said, those events, whether it's flat subduction, steep subduction, what have you rifting, then you have, you know, the various deposits that are being, uh, that fractionate out within those specific, uh, domains, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. This is why you're here, Monty. This is why we need you here. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to make a mineral district map. Oh! You're going to uh, you're gonna have to plot all the occurrences, and then you're going to draw lines around them as geologic take- units. And then you're going to look <laughs> at the metal ratios, and that's going to tell you exactly what the tectonic <laughs> is and what the igneous rocks are going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's going to show you where there's slab tears, which should be consistent through geologic time. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like a dissertation. Huh? Dude, second disser- dissertation 2.0, dude. <laughs> well, you could do it quick and dirty. You know, <laughs> you don't have yeah. to uh, go into excruciating detail. But uh, yeah, it's funny that he used the terminology quick and dirty because the, 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 the first picture you pulled up had kids in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Quick and dirty. Quick and dirty. Well, one thing you have to do when you do these rocks. <laughs> you have to screen them for which ones are altered because you can't use altered rocks in your fresh in your plots. Yeah. When you say altered rock, you're saying like oxidized rocks or at the, know, at the uh, surface I'm, I'm kind of a thing. Altered, you know, with, with uh, some kind of hydrothermal fluids that have moved around elements in the rocks and compounds. Yeah. So it's screwed everything up. So you can't, they're not going to plot, you know, good. So you got to, Make sure you got clean igneous rocks when you do plot them. You know, Stan, I got a a quick question about that, not to derail this at all, but Stan talked about how that was one of your responsibilities back on the Troy Ranch project where you had to go around and and you and and Razzietta were looking and you were looking for fresh rocks. Yep. But you don't have that luxury here. You're going to use rocks someone's already collected yeah yeah from so in in perspective too uh from where i am to drive to mount isa is about a 10-hour drive (laughs) it looks close yeah yeah and it's a straight shot too it's not like you have to go through back roads or anything a highway literally goes right to mount because that's like i said everything all the exporting from there a lot of the roads systems were built from mount isa to ports and townsville's got a pretty big port so when they export, yeah, they mine the ore there and they ship it off to, you know, China or wherever. What's to, the population? You know, of, what's the population of Queensland? Uh, I don't know. Top of my head. It's not super big. Uh, give me one so, second. Let's guess. I, let's get some guesses out there. Monty, how many people do you think live in this whole area? Two Texases, which is 25 million in Texas, I think. 28 million. Oh, dude. Probably that's like the couple, population couple of Australia. Probably a couple million. <laughs> Couple million, uh, okay. five so million. When are we, when are we heading? When are we going to visit him, Troy? Yeah, we got to once we get once we get the real support behind uh, the PhD with PBE, and we got our sponsors that are gravity experts. You know, grab mag companies, right? Maybe whole rock chemistry companies. Then uh, we'll go over there with the cameras, microphones. We'll go to Australia. We'll go to Mount Isa. We'll break fresh Dude, rocks. There's- Dude, there's so much good stuff. And like I said, it's like, this is like the big stuff. 
it doesn't even like scratch the surface of what's what's been missed. Like one of the uh, PhDs, Alex, he he's like, dude, they're they're missing so much shit out there. He's like, it's absurd. Like he even said that it's just like there's too much almost because it's like they don't there's not a, an efficient because everything in exploration. Right. is like you need to drill a hole and it, yeah. it, it just costs a lot of money. Uh, so, yeah. Anyways, this is Mount Isa. All right. Uh, so we're skipping again. So that was our paleo proterozoic to mesoproterozoic kind of timing. Uh, and then we're going to go into the Tasman origin, uh, origin and, uh, just, just give me a sec again. I know there's a lot of crap on the screen. Uh, so the Tasman origin is from neoproterozoic to early paleozoic. Actually, now people are arguing just through the paleozoic, uh, and the Tasman itself can be divided into five different orogenic events. So it's divided into the Mossman, the Thompson, and the New England origins in Queensland. But it also includes the uh, the uh, Lachlan and then Demurian, uh, Demurian, And uh, so here on the screen that we're looking at now, we have just like a general outline of the different orogenic events. We have our Bougier gravity. And then we have our RTP magnetics on the right. And uh, I'm just going to show some things right away. And uh, you guys are going to be like, oh, that's very interesting. Uh, <laughs> so the the ones that I'm going to oh. be breaking down are the Thompson right here, the Mossman up here, which has this funny leg. Uh, so this area through here, this little kind of shoot, this is the Bowen Sydney Basin, right? So my area is going to be right up here in the north and i'm going to show you a, a fun little diagram from uh the geology of australia and they just put a big question mark in here for structural <laughs> style it's yeah it's it's pretty pretty crazy and then on the east of that we have the new england origin uh so these are all very different orogenic events that almost happen simultaneously uh in a geologic time perspective and there's some very very cool things i wish there i wish we were kind of in new south wales because there's this uh what's the term orcline orcline i think that's the name of it uh that's associated with the lachlan orogeny and the new england origin down here which is like wild uh but yeah so big things again when we're looking what, at the gravity data what's we an see orcline? this very different orcline yeah, yeah i think that's the term what yeah, is yeah. that Oh, dude. Oh, like I should just, I got to just pull up a picture. Uh, <laughs> it's a man. I, I see all kinds of yeah. serpentinite diabetes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Over. I know. We're going to get to it, Monty. We're going to get to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, shoot. I, all right. I don't, I'm, don't look, don't judge my, uh, oh, we're, we're going to get back to this. Don't judge my, uh, or we'll just do it on. Oh gosh, there's so much on this. Wow. <laughs> I was like I said, I was up until 1 a.m. working on this. <laughs> I went those. These are all the rabbit holes I went down. Uh, well, you're you're. At so, least you got a little area there. I thought you had to do the whole thing. Uh, so an orcline is basically you have like this continued bend. So you have compression. And then all of a sudden it begins like this massive wrenching and it, it almost looks like a, not a circle quite, but it's like this giant uh, sheer fabric within this orogenic event. Wow. And there's one, one in New South Wales called the Texas Oracline and the rocks in it just look absolutely wild. So does it create cool. like a dome kind of 
feature no, at the it's end. It's a big fold. Giant. It's fold. a big fold. It's a basically vertical fold. Yeah, yeah. these vertical these vertical folds that just okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's they're they're wild. Spring. Yeah, they're they're wild looking. Uh, but anyways, let's get back to this. So again, structural styles. Uh, we have that Mount Isa province over here, uh, gravity high. And then you can see like this crazy shenanigans that's happening here. Some of this is going to be some remnants because of all the mag, all the magnetite and just like heavy iron ores. So mm -hmm. like the lows, are they really that low? Probably not. It's just probably the highs are that pronounced. That's why we're getting a lot of these like super crazy lows. Uh, and then we have the Mossman up here kind of to the northeast and it's kind of got this like boot shaped and I'm going to kind of go into what the theory is behind that boot shape. Uh, and then in the middle of Australia, we have the Tasman or, or Thompson origin, excuse me. And it is humongous. And within that, all these little dots, I, I don't have the legend here, but they're all different little basins within the Tasman, uh, just of various times and, and locations. And then here we have our Bowen basin, uh, which I'm going to be working on like this section up here. And you can see some very interesting things in the grav and then some very interesting things in the mag. Yeah. Uh, as it, it, it pops out right away. It's, it's kind of, it, you can't miss it with a low like that. And then these absurd highs so within like a sedimentary accreted, basin. Accreted yeah. Moho. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty crazy. Um, and then over here to the east, we have the New England origin. And it does wrap around a little bit further south as well. Oh, this is kind of a better image on the left. It kind of shows you how far down it goes. It goes all the way to Newcastle. Uh, and we're not going to talk about the this these origins over here, the Lachlan and the uh, Demarion. Uh, just it's, yeah, too much, too much. But as you can tell, there's very specific structural styles. And it can be pointed out right away with the regional gravity and magnetics. Like it just pops off the screen. Um, and yeah, and this is all part of the Tasman origin. So before getting into the Tasman origin, this was one of the rabbit holes I went down last night, and I need to include this. So the term continental ribbon. So what happened during the, uh, the Proterozoic is when uh, Rodinia was breaking up, not only did you know, these continents start pulling apart from one another, there were sections of continent that were also pulled apart into the marine realm. So you have this continued extension. So essentially you have a continent that breaks up. And as that continent is breaking up, it's pulling off pieces of the continent with it. And through time, between those pieces of felsic continental crust, you have basically these little spreading centers that begin to form. So you have these felsic kind of lineaments within, you know, that you can see within the ocean. And I'm going to show you a couple images in a second. And then in between those felsic lineaments, you have these oceanic spreading centers. Wow. So you have, so you go from mafic to felsic to mafic to felsic. And you have to remember too, all of these continental ribbons, quote unquote, are of various chemistry, right? It's not all the same kind of rock that's being pulled off Man. within these ribbons. It, they're all different chemistry they're all different density it's so you have this extension that occurs when rodinia breaks up and then you have this orogenic event that basically 
So you, it breaks up, it creates these ribbons with these spreading centers in the middle of each ribbon, right? So you get like these ophiolites in the middle of all these, and then you slam them back into the continent at a different orientation. Well, and what are these ribbons again? So yeah, uh give me a ribbon. Yeah, yeah. So uh so created from various provinces. So yeah. Show me a ribbon on the map there. Well, on that map, oh. I can see I can see all kinds of slab segments in the ocean, and they yeah, go right so under, the, uh, under the yeah, continent. So, so here is this uh, subduction zone out here. Yeah. This is continental Australia here. And uh, these various trends that you see are actually, so the Loyal Ridge, the Norfolk Ridge, the Lord Howe Rise, Jeez. these are all pieces of Rodinia that have been ripped off. So this is actually continental crust that's just been submerged. That's actually what this is. This isn't oceanic. This and is this actually continental. Spreading ridges are between them. Yeah. So in, in between these these ridges, you have these spreading centers. And uh, here's another map here that kind of details like a little bit more of a cartoon drawing. So you have that Lord Howe rise here. You have that Norfolk basin here. But you can see you have like these intermittent volcanics within this continental crust that's basically just been submerged. Uh, this is kind of one of the newer models that they're working with, just because now that they have the data, they've gone down there and cored uh, some of these like pieces of oceanic crust or quote unquote, they thought they were oceanic crust, but turns out they weren't right. Because the gravity and the magnetics was like saying something different uh, just based on that alone. Uh, but yeah, so, and this is kind of seen because within these different origins, the basement varies dramatically. Wow. Uh, so the base and like the ages in the basement architecture and there's some like weird little blips where you'll see, <laughs> like I'll, I'll go into an example in the Mossman origin where you have two different basement domains and then accreted onto that basement domain, you have this paleoproterozoic rock. So, which doesn't make sense from a depth. It doesn't, it's not, it's not, that rock isn't deposited. That rock is rifted off and then slammed back in. That's the only way you can get an age difference of over a billion years. Uh, can you can you see the piece of the basin that you're going to be working on in this view or no? It's more obvious. No, not really. This is yeah. This is I mean, kind of like up here, but it's this is just like super super general. Uh, is, is Australia, uh, you know, researching the ocean floor over here, like looking at vents yeah. and? Yeah, they're. Um, I don't know in that perspective necessarily. I know there's a big push for mi uh, critical minerals, but I don't think they're doing too much with marine minerals, if I understand properly, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, I know they're not going to do anything where I am because it's the Great Barrier Reef, which, you know, makes sense. But like in areas like in New South Wales, like closer. Oh, yeah. Speak of the devil. Hey, uh, so New Zealand here, Taranaki Basin here. There remember? it is. Yeah. The one and only. Dude, the... Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah, yeah. win that. I, I'm still, I'm still salty about it. But uh, <laughs> thanks to APG. But uh, yeah, so Taranaki Basin here. But yeah, so it's a lot's going on. But that's just a concept that I needed to explain prior to getting into the tectonics of like these different origins because this is kind of a model that they they're starting to use now to explain these things. And and from what I've been reading, it makes a lot of sense. So uh, here's again, all those origins, just a 
like a very, very general, super basic. This image is from Geoscience Australia. So yeah, you have the New England origin here and like this teal color. You have the Bowen Gunda Sydney Basin here, which just, you know, giant question mark. No one really knows what's going on. Thompson origin here. And then up here we have the North Queensland origin or the Mossman origin. Um, so yeah. All right. So kind of going into the Thompson origin, uh, this is that interior origin that you see here. So the tectonic setting was uh, the Neoproterozoic during the Rodinia breakup. Uh, so the present day coastline has been put in just for kind of reference. So uh, this is how much terrain was accreted within the Thompson origin. Uh, so you have this kind of this northeast or yeah, northeast southwest kind of collision event. So that occurs. So you have this northeast southwest collision. And from that collision, uh, you have a rifting event that occurs simultaneously. So you have a collision with back arc subduction and or with a back arc basin kind of being formed within the Thompson. And then you have this uh immediate rifting at a different orientation from a northwest southeast orientation so you have a wow. collision northeast southwest and then you have a rifting in the opposite direction uh like so perpendicular to it yeah, yeah yeah so basically it comes in slams and then just kind of bounces off uh so and this is happening like i said that neoproterozoic to very very early paleozoic so late silurian is kind of when this ends um, but yeah, so you get these back arc basins forming, you get this metamorphic belt beginning to form. Uh, and then within that back arc basin, that's where you're getting <clears throat> the deposition of this darling basin, right? Cause you have that extensional regime and all of a sudden you have like this massive amount of accommodation space to put a bunch of sediment, uh, where that sediment comes from, you know, you can make it, uh, you can make an interpretation there. It's in the middle of Australia. I don't know how much work has been done on the darling, um, and then you have these other basins that are being deposited and created simultaneously as well during this extension. And that's where you get like Cooper, Galilee, all those, Aramanga, just timings of that rifting is where those basins are being created. What do you think is um, happening the whole time in the Bowen, like to the east of this? What What do you think is happening over there at this time? Oh, dude, I, this time, I don't think it it's really existing yet. I think this is when it begins to exist just ocean uh, floor subducting yeah it's something. just well it's it's i think it's just ocean floor and then potentially uh you have like a junction there i think that's kind of where my mind is i think it's some kind of rift margin failed rift hmm. because it's just I, I don't know like it doesn't make sense from a collisions perspective right cuz the the thought would be and this is something that I know for sure is within the Bowen, the sediments in theory should be coming from the east because you have the New England origin that slams into the continent from the east side. Right. So you have this kind of mountain building event from the east. So there's you have this paleo high here. So you should have shedding from the east to the west. Uh, but plot twists, none of the sediments in the Bowen are actually coming from the east. Uh, the orientation of like paleo channels. And uh, the actual, you know, you know, like these different depositional systems are more of a north-south orientation, which is what is like the big, like mine, right? Do they have because you have an because you have an origin to the west and you have an origin to the east, but all the paleo channel directions indicate north-south. Wow. Do you have age yeah. dates of the bone 
sediments? Yeah, they're all oh of the sediments themselves. Yeah, like, like the provenance that. from them. No, I that's what I'm actually going to be doing tomorrow. Cool. <laughs> I'm going out to the field. Nice, cool. Yeah, yeah. First, first, first trip to the field is tomorrow for me to collect data and just walk out crop and chew rocks and do all that cool stuff. So we have the Thompson origin, and then we get into the Mossman, and this is the the one where I was. I, I spent way too much time on, to be quite frank, last night. Because, um, I mean, I read it in the books, but then, like I said, when I was putting this together, I wanted to, you know, pull out some better images and stuff like that. And that's where I kind of got into this, uh, these, the various models and then what's actually going on. So originally it was just understood as this convergent margin. That's kind of what the, the Mossman up here in uh, Northeast Queensland was kind of identified as. Uh, and then this second model that kind of came in showed a lot more complexity. Uh, it's the, the model, the way it's set out is you have this trench rollback that occurs in the early Ordovician. And then you have the stop of this rollback in this island arc system that occurs after. And then from there, you have subduction on the west side of this island, island arc. And then you have some back arc inversion. And then after that, and during the Silurian, you actually collide this island arc into the continent and then you create this secretionary wedge in doing so so that's like the the second model and kind of what everyone's leaning towards now is some kind of potential hybrid of the two but okay so what i was kind of talking about earlier with those you know continental ribbons so this basement here is all proterozoic in age so you have this basement that's sitting out here to the to the west of it that's all younger uh, so the basement out here is all later Paleozoic or earlier Paleozoic, excuse me. And then you have these pieces and like, they're very distinct provinces too, the Hodgkins and the broken, uh, river province that are much, much older. So the only way that could happen, right. Is if you have this, that rifting, like I said, a Rodinia or yeah, Rodinia. And then those rifted pieces then collide back into the continent. That's the only way in my mind, right, also to explain why you get these super old basement architectures that are within this origin that occurred uh, in, you know, the middle Paleozoic. Um, and then there's also an outcrop on the very far, like on the coast of these uh, Proterozoic rocks as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a really cool model. And then to get into the shape of the shoe... This is where that continental ribbon uh, uh, concept kind of comes in. So this is uh, a model done by uh, Morrissey. He's kind of the, the foremost expert, structural expert on like these kinds of systems out here in Australia from, uh, I think it's Mosham, Mosham University. Um, and he's written a bunch of papers, not only uh, about the Mossman origin, but also in like New South Wales for like, like I said, that Texas oracline and that kind of system. Uh, and this is one image, but here, here's kind of like a more dynamic image. So the blue on the side closest to you, you have like this continental crust. It's kind of a weird angle. So it just kind of deal with it. And then out here you have this subducting oceanic plate. And then in this orange out here on top of the oceanic plate, you have one of those continental ribbons. So this is just imagine some piece of the continent that was rifted and then comes back. Uh, once that collides back into the continent, 
it creates this kind of wrenching mm. figure, right? And that's where his interpretation of the boot comes in. Uh, okay. You can only get that structural style when you slam a piece of continental crust back into uh, the uh, the continent. And like I said, on top of that, you have these, uh, you know, these uh, steep angle subduction kind of like terrains and intrusions that occur within those provinces as well. Um, wow. But yeah, that's that's kind of what's going on there. Oh yeah, and then this is just like a very basic model. <laughs> so yeah, you have collision, uh, you have like this metamorphism, everything's high angle, and then you have like this. So you have that again, you have that collision, and then you have that extension. Uh, and some things are accreted, some things are not, and then yeah, just everything kind of relaxes. And then you create this like, you know, back arc basin behind with like extension. Uh Where's the All right. extension? That looks like uh, trench directed. I mean, those thrusts are going towards. Yeah, so the, the thrusts are in this plate. orientation, but so like as it relaxes back, uh, you can see kind of like behind the thrust sheet, you create this area for accommodation to occur, and that's where some things are deposited into as well. It's a Milan Milan wedge. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's what's that going out. You flatten that out and drag all that under. Mm -hmm. all right. You can tell by the chemistry of the paraluminous rocks if you've done that or not. If the melange wedge actually got shallowed and and yeah. stuffed under and oh yeah, was a yeah, source. If you get flat subduction, you do that. Wow, interesting. Yeah, really cool. And then you can tell the chemistry of the. Uh, you can tell by chemistry if that would happen. I mean, Arizona over at the four corners area, yeah, you've got pieces of melange wedge that have come up in diatremes. It's been flat, subducted all the way to the four corners area. Wow, from melange like Catalina, yeah. from like the Catalina Islands and all that stuff. Yeah, holy yeah. cow! Yeah, it's amazing how far that can yeah. get under the continent. Yeah, so you get hey man, so flat subduction, area. man. Yeah. You get soda rich paraluminous rocks. When you see white rocks with kind of gray myrmachitic quartz, you know, white felspars, plagioclase, with, you know, two microgranites, maybe some garnets, that's sodic. I mean, if they're pink, they're probably more potassium, but that's sodic. And that's going to be from the melange wedge, period. Wow. Cool. That's interesting. So that's the kind of thing you can do with the chemistry and mineralogy of the igneous rocks. You can say, specific things about what happened with the plate tectonics all right skips what's next yeah We're yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna need all of that in i need i'm gonna need to pick your brain when i dive into the bow and then yeah because yeah that's that's what's going to be needed it's pretty uh, straightforward it's not no. you know rocket science and mm -hmm. it's powerful yeah i mean otherwise you're lost yeah it's just a lot. It's just too much if you don't have the the proper direction to go. Uh, yeah, when you hold yeah. that hand, that rock in your hand, you'll be able to tell where the subduction plate was, even if there even if there was one. You know, if yeah. it's rifting, you'll be able to tell if it's a rift. Yeah, and put an age date on it. Mm -hmm. That it's it's cool. 
Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna definitely pick your brain about this, and and well, during during this PhD, Monty, trust me. Um, so the next event is that New England Origin, and this is the youngest of the Tasman events. So this is Devonian to Triassic in age, and this is kind of a data dump. This is where my brain was kind of fried last night. Um, so it's it's a combination of so again we have the bone basin here. Um, and then we have, so Townsville's up here. This is where I am. And then we have the New England origin that kind of stretches all the way down past Brisbane. And, uh, it's actually goes all the way to Newcastle, but we're only showing what's going on in Queensland here. Um, so we have westward abduction during the Silurian Devonian. And then we have this intraoceanic arc or arcs and associated sedimentary, uh, sequences onto the Gondwana. And then in the Carboniferous, it's a continental volcanic arc that was active over a western dipping subduction zone. So again, that flat subduction. And then for a period of extensive rifting following the cessation of the uh, the Carboniferous, and the uh, this is where they expect the Sydney uh, Bowen Basin system was initiated. So you have, like I said, you have this repeated extension or collision at one angle, rifting at a different angle. And then, like I said, you're slamming in these various arcs and, you know, pieces of continent into Australia. And then you have extension at the end. And that's what it creates this accommodation for the bone to open up. That's how um, they get the basin. So the bone. Yeah. So bone that's that's the... and they yeah. And they say it rips from the south to the north. So it <laughs> opens up from the south southern end and then it kind of ends here in the northern end. Uh, but yeah, that it's... that's kind of. That's how they that's how they model it. Okay. Uh, but like in, in the literature, even they even say like, hey, like we don't have enough data for this. Um, yeah. Yeah. The bone's a weird one. The bone is a very, very strange basin because <laughs> a lot of the basins are, you know, Jurassic and Cenozoic in age or they're like early Paleozoic. The bone is like the only one that's like perm to Triassic specific. Um, and yeah, it just kind of like sticks out like a sore thumb in the middle of like this sea of madness kind of a thing, um, which is also kind of crazy to think about, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of where, that's where the thought of the Bowen opening up is. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what I got. So there. what are yeah. those, what are those dotted lines? Um, above in that, above. In that block to the right. Oh, here. No, no, no. To the right, way over Tasman Sea. There. Oh, lines. So these are indicative of the uh, the slabs that are being subducted under the continent. Okay, okay. Yeah. So those are slab tears. So those yeah. things are really important in basin yeah. formation. Everything, because as as that rock is subducted, there's a panel of crust above that. It's I've seen in Western. Uh, Australia, you can the whole th all the geometry is controlled by those things from the ocean, the yeah. northwest trending. All those it's uh, so that that's really important. I mean, mm -hmm. those things uh, are critically important. So yeah, and I'll, I'll show you that later on when we get into this. Like the Alpine Fault is parallel to those, mm -hmm. uh, and that it's all related. They're all connected together. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of uh, resources that occur along those, 
and they, they make anyway, uh, th- those are really important. So yeah. keep your eye on those because they go. Oh, under yeah. The and I and I know there's like that was kind of my thought, too, because, you know, like in my head, the first time I saw the bow and and like kind of started diving into it, the first thing that kind of came to my mind was Snake River Plain. Uh, I was just thinking of, you know, how, you know, you have like that essentially that crossover, you know, between two different slabs and, you know, potentially what's happening there. And because uh, you kind of see similar styles within the bone itself, even though, huh. you know, it's marked as a rift system. But it's like, hey, you have like this terrain that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And then you have, you know, not only that, but you kind of similar to the Western U.S., right, where we have this east west or west east subduction. And then all of a sudden we have this change where now we're going north. Right. So it's it's kind of a similar thing with this, where we have that north east southwest subduction and then we break off and that perpendicular orientation you know similar to what we see in the western u.s um you know and and you know the only difference that i see is the various styles of what's being subducted right but it's kinematically very very similar um but yeah that's like i said it's 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 a long road for me (laughs) A lot more, a lot more reading, a lot more data to look at. But yeah, the uh, the wheels are definitely turning. Yeah, when you rift a continent apart, it has old structures in it, anisotropities, mm-hmm. and what will happen is is that will break. You know, it'll the the rift will come down and hit that and transform over, and you'll end mm-hmm. up with the spreading center not straight. It'll have all these uh, ninety degree turns in it. Yeah, and those become uh, fracture zones, which is just different ages of crust next to each other. But when those things mm-hmm. are subducted or whatever, they they're different. They have different buoyancies, and, mm-hmm. and then they still reflect that old structure that's in the continent. So all that fits together. And I don't think you know the conventional wisdom really appreciates that. No, uh, it definitely that, doesn't. That's related to resources. And, and the reason is because the fracture zones have a lot more fluid in them. And, and these things are continually moving because of the rotation of the earth. So the mm-hmm. lateral strain zones that go all the way through the continent. And they, uh, they, everybody misses them. Yeah. But, and I think that's also because that's something that I've, I've read in the literature a lot is a lot of it is a, it's like back arc subduction is something that's brought up over and over again. And I think, I think you kind of hit on a really good point. I don't, I mean, I don't, I think it's back art subduction in a sense, but also I think you're having, you know, like you said, the different subduction of these different structural styles based on like these various spreading centers and transform boundaries. And, and those are kind of indicative of what you see in the structural style in a lot of these basins, because they're also different. And that's what kind of makes sense in my mind, why that would cause such a different, uh, why there's such a vast variation in such a condensed area in a very, you know, like I said, condensed area, very similar time frame, but very, very different. Um, yeah, th- yeah, those things are going to be boundaries between, between terrains, and they're also going to be wet. So they're wet mm-hmm. zones, and they're also going to be break. They're going to be strain zones. So there's going to be strain. Yeah. There's going to be fluids and they're going to have different timing. 
So, so all the, so you gotta keep your eye on those things because mm -hmm. uh, I can see, I can see them at all in Western Australia. I can see them coming, cutting through there. They're just yeah. going right out into the ocean, the fracture zones. And, and I mean, these basins are controlled. The geometry of the basin, like the Canyon basin, it's, mm -hmm. it goes right out into two fracture zones. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's pretty, uh, that's really a huge, uh, and look at this right here, Melbourne. See that, that zone goes right through Melbourne. Look at those yeah. two little jogs in the, in the, I mean, you can see the reflection of that thing going right through there where it yeah. makes a little jog right there. Yeah. They're discontinuities and that's where mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, metallogeny and hydrocarbons form. I mean, I'll show you a map of uh, South America. It's one-to-one. -one. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Basins are absolutely associated with those things. They're bounded by them, and some of the segments have their own basin in the segment. Anyway, why don't you – I need to send you that. Send me your email. I'll yeah, send I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you – yeah, I'll send you the working email after, as, of, as of now. Uh, sure. Perfect. And then, yeah, so from here, this is where I was going to dive into uh, just kind of the differences between TMI, RTP, and, and 1VD. And I'll keep this short because, I mean, we're going on, what, an hour right now? Yeah, uh, we need to wrap up in probably 15 minutes. Yeah. And that's, that's with a little introduction, too. Yeah, oh, that's true. Uh, so this is from, like I said, GeoResGlobe. This is just a screenshot. Uh, and this is TMI. Uh, so total magnetic intensity. So all the ma maps you're going to be seeing are all a variation of mag. Uh, basically, all it's doing is this is a direct measurement of the magnetic field with not even taking it does. It takes into account like dipole susceptibility, everything. Right. So nothing's been filtered out. This is just the raw data. And there's some things that you see on depending on where you are on the planet. So if you're in the southern hemisphere, You'll see certain things in the mag as far as where different things are illuminated. Uh, if you're on the equator, you'll see specific things. And then when you're in the northern hemisphere, close to the North Pole, you'll you'll see, you know, different values. Uh, and then just for those who are not familiar with mag, uh, the lower values are the cooler colors. So like the blue and then the higher values are the warmer colors, those reds and pinks and all of that. So like these would be our, our higher mag values. And, and low magnetic anomaly versus a high magnetic anomaly means that the crust and the earth that you're standing on and it's it's element yeah. makeup of the crust has a weak magnetic pull. Yeah, it has a weak magnetic susceptibility. So that's what it's it's measuring. Is and then the hot colors, the hot colors is the magnet. There's a strong magnetic field there. Yeah. Yeah, strong. And again, it's all relative, right? It's stronger compared to the surrounding rock, right? It's similar things with like when you're looking at geophysics, right? Something between a lime and a shale or so basically, right? You're you're measuring the like because if you pull out each because there's these are a bunch of surveys stitched together. Uh -huh. So your values are going to range differently in every survey, sure. right? So it's a good idea when you like look at a survey to pull it out and see what your max values are and what your min values are. Kind of like what I was saying in regards to, you know, 
kind of in the beginning of the show, when you have a magnetite next to a serpentinite, uh, that magnetite is going to be a mag high, right? right? And that serpentinite is going to be a mag low. But when you're in a sedimentary basin, right, that serpentinite is going to be a mag high and your sedimentary rocks are going to be mag lows. Because there is right? no, so, nothing throwing it off. Yeah, because there's nothing throwing it off. Right. Because, I mean, sedimentary rocks have a very low susceptibility. So it's. Yeah, it's just it's all it's all relative in that perspective. But regardless of being relative or not, you could still see definitive trends and definitive structural styles. And it's Um, the magnetics of the crust. Right. Or is this even in part of the mantle? Does it go past the mohawk? Is the measurement? No, no, no. Yeah, this is this is in the crust. This is in the crust. Yeah. And depending on the tools that they use and the filtering that they use, it it could be super low. It could not be, right? Because again, if like you have a massive basalt flow on top of an area, that's going to throw off your mag. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's not going to penetrate that. It's like shoot, it's like going, like trying to shoot mag over a basalt flow is like trying to shoot, you know, seismic on top of, you know, evaporites. It's just going <laughs> to like, it's just going to screw things up. I got you. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. But okay. So RTP or reduction to the pole. Uh, so it's an algorithm that they use and they apply it to that TMI. So that total magnetic intensity, and it removes the magnetic inclination and declination of the main field anomaly shapes. So essentially what that's saying is, and I mean, it's hard to see here and you'll, you'll see this with like public data a lot too. Uh, the resolution kind of goes away when you run yeah. RTP. Yeah. Um, but it's removing a lot. And, and like I said, if you're going to run RTP, you got to pull out the individual survey, look at the data, and then run it on that individual survey. If you try to do it in like a huge mega merge file, then you start to lose a lot of the clarity. Hmm. So in some cases, it's really good, right? If you're trying to like really hone in on you know a specific kind of uh, scarn or deposit, RTP is is a great calculation to have. But when you're looking at it from a large scale perspective like this, uh, not very good, not very good. Uh, But yeah, and then that kind of, so yeah, but the purpose though is to locate anomalies above their possible sources to show show the true geometry of that body, right? So it kind of takes out, like I said, all of those mag inclination and declinations that would be visible within your TMI. So yeah, RTP is of like the next step in exploration. You look at TMI, you zoom in, and then you find a good area, you calculate RTP. Uh, and then from there, oh yeah, this is just kind of a visual explaining what RTP is actually doing, but we're just going to skip over that. Um, and then we have RTP, and then you calculate the first vertical derivative, and that's what's known as 1VD um, or tilt derivative. So they're taking the arc tangent ratio of the first vertical derivative and of the total horizontal derivative. And what this essentially does, it is it improves the vertical contact between source bodies. So like the geological edges and fault lineaments. Um, and it works very well for shallow and deep features and as well as it helps illuminate weaker anomalies. Now, 1VD, and I'm going to say this right now, is useless on public data, especially large scale public data. Uh, but when you look at it from an exploitation perspective and you have like a high res survey, one yeah. VD and then potentially two VD is the best thing you can do for your mag data. Like cool. the stuff that we were working on in the Permian, uh, 
our boy Bill, he yeah. calculated one VD. Oh man, the legend, the legend. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta talk to him about this stuff. Uh, yeah, he did one VD and two VD on on our data, and that's when you could actually see the individual pipes, right? Right. So you, we went from kind of, you know, seeing like this blob, this mag high blob within our data set area, and he calculated one VD and two VD. And all of a sudden, those blobs started to turn into individual dots. Like fingers. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can actually see where those pipes are going through and they're, how they're coming out of those faults. Uh, so here's just an example of like another data set where you, know, you get a little bit higher resolution data. So we have TMI, right, which is here. And it's total magnetic intensity. And what you're seeing here is in the TMI versus the RTP is essentially there's a lot of, you know, this is probably closer to the North Pole. So there's probably a lot of inclination, declination here. So this feature, when you're looking at the TMI is actually not real. This this kind of like magnetic high. So when you calculate the RTP and you actually try to localize that body, you could see, oh, wait, this stuff to the north of it isn't really a high. And then when you calculate 1VD, we can really start to see and pull out where those lineaments are and where those actual high mag bodies are. But when you do this on public data, it just turns into noise. Like I like in that last image that I showed you where it was just like black and white noise. I'll 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 pull so let's let me plan for that next time. I'll okay. I'll compile that data. I'll try to compile all the data that you you suggest to get some time slices put together and and uh yeah, we'll we'll run through it. And if Stan wants kind of a like a quick and dirty to use uh, the terminology, we'll we'll do that for the structure. Nice. Uh, okay, man. Well, Monty, thank you for joining. First episode yeah. of a PhD with PBE. Skips, man, I'm so happy for you that you're there, and I'm I'm just uh, I'm pumped, man, because you you get to defend your innocence. We always talk about that, like generally, but you're doing it because you're doing a PhD program, and and it's your. Mm -hmm project and it's your approach to this and i know when you went through the timelines you spoke to a lot of these rifts and compression and all these big tectonic events you're gonna you're gonna disrupt a lot of that in your journey and and you just you're going to do that and it's not your fault you're not doing it on purpose you're not trying to disrupt someone's ideas like you're just approaching it with the data you have to try to make the most sense of what's going on. Defend yeah. your innocence. Your dissertation is a defense of your innocence and just go to the data, man. And, and, and we're just going to hit it every week or as much as we can. We're going to do these shows and we're going to learn so much from this. And I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited to just engage with you on this and listen to your thoughts and because you're really good at presenting. So once you get it figured out, you also have the unique ability to explain it really well. That's why your master's is always referenced in like people really <laughs> understood what was going on. It's why you had an audience when we presented that thing. It's because you can explain these things and then it makes Dude. more sense. Dude, that's just from you just tearing me apart in the Trey conference room <laughs> or un in the unbeknownst company's conference room. Uh, <laughs> Raw and it works though, man. Yeah, it works, dude. That's right. I mean, hey, it's and like that's like the thing, right? Like you want to present to a room, you're presenting to a room of specialists, but a lot of times, right, they're hyper specialized. So a lot of the terminology you use, they won't get. So it's basically like explaining to a room of people that don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Uh, yeah. Man, I'm so excited, dude. So thanks for the first episode. That was cool. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a blast. Uh, yeah, we'll. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out when we're gonna do it again. But yeah, probably like a month or so. Yeah, what yeah. Your, hopefully, your thoughts. Once a month, I'm hoping. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, once a month. Yeah, we'll plan for that. All Sweet. right. See. You All right, on. thanks, guys. See you, Skip. It was a pleasure. Thank you.